Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Bert Lehman and Ryan Aho. Well, we're sorry we're coming to you a day late. And the reason is because of the finish at yesterday's Daytona 500. Um, I'm sure 90% of you know exactly what we're talking about, the wild finish. And so we're going to go over some of those details now. And uh, for those of you that don't know, you'll understand after the podcast here why we are a day late. So, Bert Lehman, let's start with you. Like I said, wild finish to yesterday's Daytona 500. Why don't you uh, start us out with your thoughts and reflections? Well, uh, you're definitely... <laughs> You're definitely right. It was a wild finish. Um, and, I mean, I as I was telling you off the air, um, I worked until 4 o'clock, so I wasn't able to start watching the race, but I recorded it. So by the time I got home, I started watching it from the beginning, and uh, I didn't know what happened. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was a big wreck at the end, like normally happens at Daytona. And uh, very scary incident involving Ryan Newman. Uh, when I watched the watched it initially, um, you know, I saw he got hit by another car after he had gone airborne. And then when he got hit by another car, he got airborne again. But what worried me initially was when they showed the car come to a complete stop, there was, it looked like there was fuel pouring out of the car. And I was afraid the car was going to start on fire. And the way the car was situated, there was no way for Newman to get out the driver's window. And uh, But then when they showed the replays and they showed the hit that he took from the other car, he got hit right in the driver's window. And, I mean, I've seen some slow motion video of it, and you can see the car completely flex, just bend when he got hit. And uh, it's very scary. And... You know, there wasn't an announcement for several hours, but, I mean, so far all indications are, I mean, he's in serious condition, but not life-threatening. So that's somewhat good news. Yeah, last I heard he was he was uh, talking with family and such. Ryan, what's your take? Well, that, that's what got me, right, is, is how they handled it afterwards. Now, I don't know the whole situation, if he was unconscious. I mean, nobody seems – there's a lot of details people don't know but let's just face it when somebody gets shipped to the hospital after any anything after any sporting incident or racing or anything you know if, if they come on the air and they say hey we're we they shipped him to the hospital normally that's followed by you know he's in stable condition he's breathing he's something and what was crazy to me is not one time did they say that he's even alive right so when they put up the big screens literally everybody we took i mean i i couldn't breathe for like two hours i was like literally it was like dale earnhardt all over again just because of the uncertainty you know i mean it was a vicious crash and you know that that's immaterial how that happened or whatever but it's a testament to i guess joe gibbs racing or not i guess uh roush is it he's nice roush isn't he yeah yeah a testament Rouch. to that team and and the safety of that car to take that kind of hit and the fact that he's talking today and alive. I mean, I haven't seen a hit like that in that part of the car in a long time. And there's been, and it doesn't matter if they're on a two and a half mile track or a quarter mile bullring racing is dangerous, but I think the uncertainty of it all, <clears throat> like nobody knew if he's alive, nobody knew if he was breathing conscious, anything. I mean, is absolutely crazy and and uh, that's the thing with the racing community you know i have about five thousand people on my facebook news feed 
and and I jumped on Facebook and you know I I put out a, a, just a little deal kind of giving props to Joe Gibbs Racing. I I saw right when they got together afterwards the team started to celebrate and I heard Joe Gibbs I heard him say I heard it come out of his mouth Hey Ryan's not even out of his car yet and and immediately they stopped as a group and they they all took a prayer for Ryan Newman immediately right on the spot and they realized what's what's more important here Ryan Newman's life or us winning the Daytona 500 and just seeing all the outpouring from so many people in the racing community and just uh just in the I guess the country in general um really praying for for him to come through I mean that that says a lot about our sport well, I agree with you on the, you know, the community and the, you know, everyone coming together and you, know, you can see all the stuff on, you know, social media prayers needed right now for Ryan. And I want to, speaking of fans, I kind of want to turn to those screens at first. I thought it was a bit puzzling, but then after thinking about it, you know, in the day when everyone's got a phone and everyone wants to take a picture or take a video, I really think that that was, you know, premeditated in a positive way for NASCAR. Um, I see if a guy, go ahead. I, I I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, there's crashes all the time. You know, there's where people got to get, you know, help getting out of the car or whatever. Um, I've been around racing for a long time, and and every single time that I've seen screens like that come out, it's worst case scenario. You know, I I really, you know, if he would have been alert, which I don't know all the details. From what I understand, is I think he was on. I think he was knocked out. I don't know that to be the case or not. Um, so that's just from what I understand. But I think that the uncertainty of the whole situation, of like them not really knowing what they were dealing with, I think they were preparing for worst-case scenario, and they didn't want people, you know, taking a bunch of pictures and videos of a fatality. You know, well, exactly. Yeah, if they would have known. Yeah, if they would have known for certain that he was okay and, you know, maybe had some injuries, but, you know, he was alive and, everything was good, them screens never would have came out. So the minute them screens came out, I mean, it was like uh, the wind knocked out of a whole bunch of people's, you know, out of their gut because, you know, right there it's like, man, Dale Earnhardt all over again. And then, you know, then leading up to the press conference, my goodness, I mean, I mean, they, they had it for a, for a long time. <laughs> they had it where you could, you could watch and you could see them kind of slowly prepping and, you know, it was getting close to 9 o'clock Central, and <clears throat> I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe right at 9 they're going to come on. And I was at the gym, and literally <clears throat> right at 9 o'clock, they're, they're, I'm thinking, man, there's going to be somebody coming on. I think it was like 9.06 or 9.07 that somebody actually came on. But then the song came on in the gym, The Sound of Silence. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it couldn't get any more eerie than that. It was just uh, just a terrible feeling. And all I kept thinking back in my head was, you know, when Helton came on and he's like, we just lost Dale Earnhardt, I'm like, oh, man. And I and I think that was kind of a common theme around the whole country. And the minute they came on and they said he's got some serious injuries but non-life-threatening, man, that was a, a huge, huge sigh of relief for for everybody, not just the racing community, but, you know, his family, his team, you know, every everybody involved because uh, nobody wants to see something like that. Yeah. Anything more, Bert? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add that, you know, the longer that uh, it went without an, an announcement, I thought, you know, oh, you know, I thought it was going to be a, a worse announcement than actually did come out. Um, but, you know, 
I, I don't know legally what NASCAR can release once a driver goes to a hospital with HIPAA laws and all of that sort of thing. So then once they get to the hospital, it might be up to the family as to what information is released and when. Well, talking about the hospital, I, I guess it is just insanity down there. Uh, a friend of mine, Bob Broking, who runs the Grand Rapids Speedway, they got their own race team as well, and a lot of you know them that are listening, but his mom is actually in the hospital uh, with some, some severe health issues she's going through right now, and she's been in the hospital for about 12 days, so my prayers still go to her and, and the Broking family. But he says, Ryan, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, there is so many media around here. He said, you know, every hospital, you got security going into the hospital, but they've been in and out so many times because they've been there all week that, you know, everybody knows them by name. They just go in and out. But now security's like, way ramped up. Ryan Newman's got his own uh, certain part of the hospital where he's the only one there just because there is a ton of media outside, and there's a whole bunch of crazy race fans outside too. And especially yesterday, he says, man, there was a whole bunch of drunk race fans there. And as soon as they announced that, that it was not life-threatening, there was a bunch of hooting and hollering, and, you know, they. It's, I can't even imagine being in that situation where you're fighting for your life, his family, his race team, everybody's there, and number one priority is, like, let's make sure he's okay, and now they got to deal with all of that stuff besides that. And I, he said, it's crazy. People come in, and the minute they're leaving, the, the media's got a mic in their face trying to, get as much information as they can he said there's no privacy no nothing it's just ridiculous and you know some of them people might be genuine but it's like man give the guy a break i mean you know the, the news is going to come out when the news is going to come out you know leave the guy alone and let let their family have their peace yeah absolutely what are they thinking they're going to get in and go see ryan newman get his <laughs> autograph i mean it's just crazy but i mean I, in a way i suppose there's right. no support you know which is good like you said the racing community comes together but um on the other end just yeah just go home and let the guy have a a breath of fresh air, but I guess one of the questions is, uh, <laughs> fellas, and maybe I'll start with this and I'll turn it over. But you know, what do we do with this restrictor plate racing? You know, I, you know, and a guy like Ryan Newman who probably doesn't need to race anymore. You know, he's got the money. You know, a, a Harvick certainly doesn't need to race anymore. Jimmy Johnson, you know, we can go down the list. There, there's so many of those guys. They don't need to race anymore. You know, I don't know any NASCAR guys, but I do know a handful of professional hockey players, and you know, these guys. Because it's not just the money. I mean, they've got the money, both the NHL players and the NASCAR guys. But they also have that, you know, kind of a little bit of that rock star status. And, and you know, I mean, the lifestyle they live where, you you know, you get bottle service at every restaurant you go to. You you know, you don't bring your kids to Disney World once in a while. You probably bring them at least once a year. It just, you know, it just seems crazy to put themselves in this kind of a situation with restrictor plate racing. I mean, it, you know, is it time to park it basically? Is it time for those guys to go out and do a parade lap and I'll pull in and let the, let the guys try to make a name for themselves, get out there and race. Or is it, or do you got to do what, what Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson did 10, 12 years ago, where I think it was Talladega where they just kind of hung around the back and then made a big push at the end. And, and so, you know, I guess basically the question, you know, what do we do? going forward with restrictor plate racing and i guess you know bert you want to start on your thoughts um well i mean this has been debated for years what you know nascar has tried different aero packages uh i mean i'm not even sure if they use restrictor plates anymore to the truest sense of the word 
I was trying to do some research before the show tonight, and I remember reading they were going to get rid of restrictor plates um, in favor of tapered spacers. Uh, the article I was reading, though, Bill Elliott uh, made the comment that you can call it whatever you want. It's still restricting airflow to the motor, and you're, you're slowing cars down, and it's bunching them up. Um, I mean, restrictor plate racing started to slow the cars down, uh, and that started after Bobby Allison's wreck in Talladega when he got up into the guardrail and and tore a huge section of of uh, guardrail down or fencing. And uh, so they're trying to keep the cars on the ground and and slow them down. But, I mean, Ryan Newman has been very vocal about racing at Daytona and Talladega. And I was reading an article today where um, – he said that when he initially started racing NASCAR that he thought he'd probably be done racing when he was about 40 years old. Well, now he's 42 and he said that he's going to continue to do it as long as he's still having fun. Um, Ryan can probably talk to this better because I mean, he, he's a racer. I mean, racers want to race and they can uh, talk bad about a situation, but they tend to still go out there and race. Well, yeah, before you go, go right, and that's, that's, I guess, the big argument is NASCAR wants one thing and the fans want one thing, but this is a, this is a situation where it's, it's driver safety. I mean, like I said, these guys are, you know, they've got fans. They don't need the money. It's, it's not Bill Elliott, Dale Earnhardt, those kind of guys, Rusty Wallace trying to make a living. You know, it just seems like it, it's just so different. So, Ryan, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, this is, this is definitely a multi-headed monster here because <clears> – <throat> I think plain and simple, the track's too big, right? Every real race fan, I'm not talking about your casual, oh, I love NASCAR. I'm talking about, like, real race fans, right? People that, like, actually understand the sport. They don't want to watch a two-and-a-half mile. They don't want to watch a mile-and-a-half garbage racetrack. They want to see the mile. They want to see the three-quarter mile. They want to see the half mile. They want to see the bull ring. So plain and simple, they want to see cars bunched up. They don't want to see cars bunched up at 200 miles an hour, right? But they want to see cars bunched up, and that's what you get on the smaller tracks. The speeds are down, and it's it's. I'm not saying it's safe. You know, you get on a mile track, and the cars are all in a bunch. It's still a dangerous sport, but it's way more dangerous on the two and a half mile track. Now, the debate is always, well, do we want plate racing, or should we just get rid of them and open them up? Well, the seven fans that NASCAR has left would quit watching if they didn't have plates. Because can you imagine how boring it would be on a a two-and-a-half-mile track with cars spread out around the whole racetrack? That would be the most ridiculously boring thing on the face of the earth to watch. Nobody wants to watch that. NASCAR understood that. That's why they put plates in it. Now, that's a big debate. Now, here's the deal. Is Is it the fact that it's the plates, or is it the fact that some of these drivers just ain't as good as what people give them credit for? I mean, you take the you take dirt guys, you take guys on small racetracks. They're side by side, you know, pushing the cushion on a heavy racetrack, sliding in there wide open, and they're sliding the cars, and they're not banging as much as they're banging. You get these guys in a bunch with with ten laps to go. It's like a demo derby. It's like they literally forgot how to drive. They're smashing into each other. So, the plain and simple, it has nothing to do with the plate. Yes, that keeps them bunched up. But if you don't have them bunched up, you have no entertainment. They might as well just shut down those two racetracks, period, and go all the smaller tracks, which 
I'd be four anyway because the racing would be better. Well, so let's take the incident okay. leading up to that with Joey Logano, right? Joey Logano is like third in line, bump crafting in traffic. Well, come on. I mean, exactly like Jimmy Johnson said, he goes, well, I think that 20 cars may be getting a little aggressive. Well, when you're bump drafting in traffic, he took the guy right ahead of him, bump drafted him. I don't remember who it was, but ran him right into Kozlowski and wrecked the whole field. Why are you bump drafting in traffic, right? That, that's just that's just brain damage right there. And that that's, just goes to show the mentality of some of these drivers. They just don't have a clue. That's Joey Logano. <laughs> that is Joey Logano. That is absolutely true. I agree with that. You know, but, but the fact is they're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. Because, yes, it would it be safe? I don't know if it would be, though. I mean, would it really be safer if you got rid of the plates? I don't know. The cars would be going a heck of a lot faster, so is that safer or less safe? I mean, if the, if the cars are going 230 miles an hour on the racetrack, they're going to go up into the crowd and kill somebody, right? So I don't know what's better what's worse. Is it better to keep the, the drivers all complain because they're in a bunch because this always happens, right? And no fan. Yes, fans like action, but fans don't like I mean, there's a few knuckleheads that do, but, you know, they're just they're just dumb, so whatever. They don't even count. But the fact is, you want entertainment. You want action. You want side-by-side. And, and, and it, the race did provide that, almost tragically, but it, you got it down to the very end, and they, were, they actually started racing. Let's face it, in a 500-mile race, do they really race? They don't race. They don't race until the last 10 laps in any race. But here, at least, you know, you, with a with a plate race, you you can have the guy that's running eighth make a move, and all of a sudden he could be leading in three laps. You know, so it it creates a more exciting, by far, a very dangerous deal. You know, as we saw yesterday, but the plate deal wasn't totally to blame for that. I mean, let's face it, and, and you know, my prayers go out to him. But Ryan Newman's trying to win the race. He's leading, right? He he took the lead. And now they're trying to—they're trying to go high. They're trying to go low. He's putting on a block. Every single race car driver on the planet would have done the same thing. You're trying to win the Daytona 500. You're gonna put on a block, and it just didn't work out as planned. Exactly like Hamlin said, he goes, "My job is to block the best that I can without wrecking the field," and it just didn't work out this time. Thank God he's okay. Thank—I don't know if he's okay. I'm not gonna say he's okay. Thank God he's alive. I'm gonna go there. But let's face it, if he was trying to win the race, you know, and, and back to Dale Earnhardt, by far my favorite driver in all of NASCAR history, he crashed. It wasn't because of the plate. He crashed because he was putting on a block for his two teammates that were out front of him, right? So is it the plate or is it blocking? And are you ever going to take away blocking? Absolutely not. Why? Because people want to win. And they're going to do what they can to win. The sport is dangerous. In my opinion, that track is far too big to have an entertaining race. You know, put them down on them. You know, you get a lot more mile racetracks in there, and NASCAR is going to flourish because it's way more exciting racing anyway, and I think they just need to put a lot more smaller tracks on the schedule. That's my opinion. Well, what do you guys think? I don't know if you saw the chase race from Charlotte in the fall where they put, like, a barricade on the front stretch so they had to slow down and go over, like, a little U shaped turn not a complete you but they had to they had to turn left and then turn right they put like almost like a little road course corner on the front stretch could you take the plate i mean some of your racing peers are like pookie you've lost your mind i'm just looking at the safety looking <laughs> you know can you still do daytona 
then you could probably take the plates off and get a little separation. And then they have to slow down. You know, it, it did. I don't like I said. I don't know if either of you saw it, but I did make a point of watching that one because I remember reading like, what are they going to do? This is this is you know, this is unheard of. And so you know, guys had to jam the brakes. They got into you know, they're bumping each other and they're you know, they're trying to cut the corner and they're nudging you guys. So it, it added an element of action to it, but it's not a purist of racing. Probably thought it was completely asinine. I watched. I Go saw ahead, a few laps of that shark of the shark. They call it the roval. There you and, go. That is the term exactly. And uh, I could only watch a few laps of that. I I just I didn't think it was good racing. Um, I mean that's kind of the quandary that NASCAR is in right now. I mean, a lot of I know when when I go through face my Facebook feed, people are just ripping on NASCAR. They're ripping on on the, the racing and you know nascar is trying to appease their diehards but they're also trying to appease the fans that they gained in the 90s who aren't necessarily the diehards so they're in a quandary of who do you cater to and i don't think they're getting anything they're they're trying to cater to everybody but when you do that it just doesn't work go ahead Ryan. I, I totally agree. Bert's right on the money. Um, there, the fact is, if you cater to the diehard fan, you're making a mistake because the diehard fan is addicted to watching racing. They're going to watch it anyway. That's what people don't understand. That's the same thing as dirt racing. You know, a lot of times they're promoting and they're trying to make the, the, the diehard fan happy. Guess what? The diehard fan is coming, and they're going to bitch. Why? Because they're diehard fans, and that's what diehard racing people do is they bitch, period. It just is what it is. You're not going to make everybody happy. Now, as far as the Roval goes, don't they do it like on the 24 hours of Daytona? Don't they kind of make that into something similar to that? Yeah, they, they, <laughs> race, they race through the infield, and then they go up on the corners, and then they're back down into the infield. So, yeah, they, yeah. they some sort of a, a road course at Daytona. Yeah, I, I thought there was something there. Now that would be that would be an interesting deal. I, I don't know if I'd be for that or against that. I really don't know. As a as a dirt guy, I like oval track racing, right? You know, so to to change it up like that would totally be it would be different and sometimes I'm that guy that just doesn't like change. Um but I, I think it just goes back to I, hats off to to NASCAR, the teams, for the safety stuff that they have put in. Because over the last two decades, all the stuff that's been added, you know, with, with uh, moving the drivers slightly to the right, with, you know, the, the way the cars are built, with the seats, the seat belts, with the safety crews right on the spot. I mean, hats off to them. I mean, imagine if, Imagine if that same wreck happened 20 years ago. There's no way he'd be here today. No way. It would not happen. So so I'm glad to see safety is progressing. But the, the fact is they really, I think they just really need to take a good look and say, are the two-and-a-half-mile tracks, are they just, are they simply too big? And would, it, would we be better served to make these tracks a lot smaller, make up some changes, you know, is there is there things that they can do in that realm? And that's a, I'm glad I'm not in their position because everybody's got their idea. I don't know what's right, wrong, or, or any indifferent, but uh, all I can say is I'm super glad to see that that Ryan Newman is alive and breathing today. That's I'm going to leave it at that. 
All right. Well, let's stay in Daytona, but let's move away from the 500 because we did have one heck of a finish in the truck race. Uh, Bert, do you kind of want to start there? Did you get to see that finish? Um, yeah, I saw the finish, and uh, we had a good representation from, uh, from Wisconsin drivers. Uh, Derek Krause, who is from Stratford, uh, finished fourth in the race. Uh, Derek is 18 years old. Uh, this is his first year racing in the truck series in NASCAR. Uh, he honed his driving skills uh, in the, on the short tracks in central Wisconsin, uh, State Park Speedway and uh, uh, Marshfield Speedway. And uh, the last couple of years, he's raced in the K&N series, uh, K&N West series out in California. And uh, he, he had a great showing. So I'm looking for big things from him. Uh, Natalie Decker, who uh, is originally from Eagle River, Wisconsin, uh, she finished fifth. Uh, she's raced in the truck series. She raced in the truck series last year. Uh, this was the best finish by a female in the NASCAR truck series. And then uh, Ty Majeski has a full-time ride. He's originally from Seymour, Wisconsin. Uh, he has a full-time ride in the truck series, and he wound up on his roof and slid a long ways before coming to a stop on his roof. Uh, but he has a full-time ride. So uh, I'm, I'm really pulling for Ty to do good this year because I – this is his first real chance at NASCAR. He had signed a develop a driver development deal with Roush Racing several years ago to race Xfinity, uh, but I don't think he got a fair shot there because he was sharing the ride with two other drivers, and then Roush just shut his Xfinity uh, program down. So um, it's going to be interesting to watch those three drivers throughout the year. Uh, Decker's only racing a limited schedule in the Truck Series, though. So. Okay, Ryan on the trucks. Didn't uh, did Ty Majeski did he win the NASCAR Wheeling Series points a couple of years ago, or did he get second? I know he was up in the top three for sure. Did he win that? Bert? Um, I'm not sure if he did. I know he's won uh, several championships in the uh, what is it, ARCA Midwest Tour. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was down at the NASCAR banquet, the NASCAR Wheeling Series banquet, and he was down there. Um, I was down there for dirt racing, and I don't know if he finished. I know he finished in the top three. Um, I, I thought maybe he won, but talented driver. And I, I was on Facebook, and I actually saw another Stratford legend, dirt modified guy, Troy Kuyas, uh, former Wissota Modified National Champion. Um, he he was actually uh, down there with uh, the Krause team, you know, had some pictures taken. And, you know, obviously they know each other. Stratford's not a very big town, but, you know, it's fun to see you know, some Midwestern guys, you know, you, let's face it, NASCAR, you know, traditionally has been a, a Southern sport, right? You know, it's kind of been the Southern deal, and it's really cool to see some uh, Midwestern folks, even though it's Wisconsin. I'm a Minnesota guy. I'd like to see a lot more Minnesota people, but we're all on dirt. Um, the fact is there's a lot of asphalt tracks in Wisconsin, but it's good to see, um, good to see them down there, and it, it'll kind of give me something to watch, you know, because if you don't know somebody – it's really hard to follow it, but if you have somebody in your area that's that's competing, it's a lot easier to follow. So it'll give me something to look forward to this year, watching those guys. Yeah, and I, I just want to add, I mean, Ty Majeski, I mean, he had nothing more to prove uh, racing in Wisconsin. I mean, if you would go to an asphalt track in Wisconsin and Ty Majeski was there, 
uh, the assumption is that he's probably going to win. I mean, that's how how dominant he's been. And I just wanted to mention also about Derek Krause. Uh, I interviewed him uh, during his rookie year racing a super late model. He was 14 years old at the time. And uh, I also interviewed his dad at, at for that story that I wrote. And his dad told me that that once he put Derek into the car, he knew that Derek was had some special talent driving and and he knew that he had to get because Derek's dad also raced and his dad said that I had to get out of the car and I have to give him every opportunity to take advantage of the talent that he has. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough to do because when you're when you're that uh, type A or that alpha male that's been racing for a number of years, you know, getting out of the driver's seat is not extremely easy to do. But uh, you know, it's a testament to him. He wants his kid to succeed and. I remember Mark uh, years and years and years ago. I'm not going to date either one of us, but um, back when Marshfield was on dirt, I remember he ran a Wasota Superstock, and then he transitioned. Did he run asphalt late models last? Is what he ran last, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe, and I I could be wrong on this because it was a long time ago, but I believe he had a Miller Genuine Draft number nine Superstock that was pretty sharp looking. And he ran really, really well. That was back in the early 90s when Wasota first got rolling. And uh, I never really paid much attention to the asphalt stuff, so I didn't know where his career went from there. But it, it's kind of fun how it kind of comes full circle. And, you know, good to see a second-generation driver out there and uh, wish him the best. And Ty Majeski there, he had a tough break because when he ended up on his roof, he was just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time had really nothing to do with that wreck other than he got collected in it and got put upside down. So I'm looking for him to be really, really tough this year and uh, really looking to see, you know, I don't know much about Natalie Decker, but I'm really looking forward to seeing both Majeski and Krause um, progress over the 2020 season. I agree with you. And uh, before, before we leave asphalt in Daytona, I just want (coughs) to say one thing, you know, if there's any, you know, local racers can also learn from this. So if there's any local racers listening to this, what the Daytona 500 proved is don't skimp on safety. You need all the safety equipment to keep you safe. And if you can't afford the safety equipment, then you have to think, you know, should you be racing? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, let's stay with Daytona, but let's get off the track just a little bit. Uh, Kelly Esty was down at the Daytona 500, and he was kind enough. So, Kelly, if you're listening, thank you, to send us a picture of the uh, concession prices down at Daytona, and I shared it with you fellas. Uh, you know, what would you guys think? I actually thought that, I mean, prices are high, but I thought they would be much higher. It looks like 8 bucks for a, you know, can of beer, $5 for a soda, 4 bucks for a water, you know, nachos and cheese, 7 bucks. Were you guys surprised at that or kind of thought it was about where it was supposed to be what you guys think i thought it would i mean it's in line with uh you know like nfl at least uh at lambeau field in green bay you know those prices were in line with what uh food and beverage items sell for at lambeau so uh and same thing with miller park in milwaukee for the brewer games that i go to so i didn't i didn't think they were out of line yeah i thought they were you know kind of right in there ryan Hello, Ryan? Did we lose Ryan? I didn't lose you, did I, Bert? No, I'm here. 
Okay, maybe he'll jump back in here sometimes. Oh, there he is. Sometimes he jumps in and jumps out. Or are you gone there? Are you still here, Bert? I'm here. Oh, okay. Well, let's just keep rolling here because okay. I don't see anything by text for him. But, um, and, yeah, like I said, I, I thought that the – oh, there he is. Ryan, we're talking concessions. Uh, that picture of the concessions. We lost you there for a second. What were your thoughts? Were you so, were those prices kind of – I mean, I know it's a little off-raising, but, you know, for fans that might be wanting to go down there someday – what were you thinking on uh, some of those concession prices? Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. I thought they were right on, you know, right on track. You know, I remember you mentioned that you thought they were a little low. You thought they would be higher. But, you know, I, I think that there's so many race fans that come from bullring racetracks, dirt tracks, and, and all that that come to these NASCAR races. You're not going to see them as high as what you'd see at, like, a Minnesota Vikings game. Their stuff's going to be a little bit more reasonable than that. But uh, let's just say this. When you go there, if you're going to be there all day, you better plan on dropping a hundred bucks because everything's more expensive at big venues. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's leave Daytona. Let's cruise down the road to Volusia. And gosh, we have all kinds of action there. How we had disqualifications, we had rule controversies, we had, you know, uh, you know, battles between drivers. We had drivers that said the track is too fast. Uh, Ryan, you want to start on this? Just kind of your overall thoughts uh, as things kind of wound down at Volusia. Well, I thought Volusia was pretty good. I thought East, the racing at East Bay was actually better. You know, and again, it comes down to a smaller track, right? Volusia's a big half mile. Uh, East Bay's uh, more of a three-eighths mile. East Bay's got better racing, but it was it was crazy how how the tracks changed, and that's something with dirt racing is one night it could be bone dry and the next night it could be rough and heavy and the next night it could be too muddy and there could be rain. There's all kinds of different variables. And, you know, coming back to the, the driver's safety and, you know, the, the, the track conditions or the tracks being too big, you know, the one night where they got some rain, they, they anticipated the track being just a complete debacle. It really didn't turn out that bad. The racing was pretty good, but I believe 12 guys left their cars on the trailer that night, including uh, J.D., you know, Davenport, and uh, T-Mac, and McDowell, and they all said, you know what, we're not racing for the World of Outlaw points. We're just going to leave our stuff loaded up, live to play another day. And, uh, in fact, before he even announced that he wasn't going to race, I heard one of the guys, you know, from the Dirt on, Dirt on Dirt crew, they said, yeah, we're pretty sure J.D. might have been three beers in, you know, before he decided he wasn't going to race, before it was even done raining. So I think he uh, that decision was made for him. That's the dirt racer in him, right? But, you know, the, the thing is, they look at it, a half-mile racetrack that's sticky, that's rough, is can be really hard on equipment. It's hard on engines. It's hard on cars. It's hard on shocks. It's hard on everything. So they just simply looked at it, and they said, you know what? What do we really have to gain? We're not racing for points. If they go out there and they, they hook a rut and destroy a race car or, you know, Davenport already destroyed one in East Bay when he, when he, hit, when he hit a rut down there, you know, if they do that or if, they're, if they hurt an engine, you know, an engine's definitely a lot more than ten grand. You know, I, I think they're getting upwards of forty, fifty grand for the open motors. You know, it's just not worth it in their opinion. And as a race Fan, you're sitting there looking at it going, man, what a bunch of babies. Are you kidding me? It's like, why are they parking? Get out there and race. You know, put on a show. But uh, some of them folks just had the bigger picture in mind. And, you know, it, that turned out a few of them actually commented afterwards, well, it wasn't as bad as we thought. You know, we, we probably should have raced. But 
the track had been pretty heavy. It had been a little choppy the whole week already. So when it rained, they were they were kind of expecting the worst. So pretty interesting to see that. And then, of course, uh, there was a little drama there, right, with uh, with uh, Dennis Erb Jr. I actually talked to Casey Schumann today from the World of Outlaws, and he goes, man, I said, uh, is your butt still uh, sore from getting chewed out down there? He says, oh, man. He goes, I went a whole year without having any real drama or anything like that. And then I had to go ahead and do that. I had to disqualify him. He goes, it sucked. He goes, we thought we were clear on, on the way the teching was supposed to be. Evidently, we didn't communicate it maybe as well as he thought it should have been. And he goes, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, he goes, nobody wants to disqualify anybody, you know, but the fact of the matter is you have to because you have a whole season ahead of you. And if you don't disqualify the guy, you're really in trouble and, you know, especially when you have some of the when you have some of the other chassis builders and some of the you have some different people there that are kind of looking over your shoulder, wait, you know, waiting to see what you do. It's like, man, you got eyes on you. That's a horrible position to be in. It brings me back. I was on the board guys at the Hibbing Raceway for a couple of years, and a buddy of mine up there races a super stock. Actually worked on his car out of my dad's garage for several years when he was getting started. Kid never had much money. Um, just you know, pretty good racer. And he had an altercation in the pits right in my pit spot with another driver. In fact, he tackles a guy and he went to swing at him. And now I'm on the board, right? This, they're both my friends, and I had to kick that guy out for for a couple of weeks and say, "You're not welcome back. You're, you're you're disqualified for the night. You're kicked out." He didn't talk to me for a month, but it's one of those situations where, man, I, I didn't want to. He's a friend of mine, but I had to because otherwise it would have been called favoritism and everybody else would have been mad, and and that's kind of the situation the world of outlaws found themselves in. It's like, man, this is just terrible. I don't want to do this, but I kind of have to because a rule's a rule, and if you, no matter how much you like a guy, if you twist the rule a little bit or give them a slide or say, hey, you know, hey, it's just a little miscommunication, people are going to take that line and they're going to they're gonna make it, they're going to cross that line ten times over um, if you give them any leeway. So I, I'm glad I was not in Casey Schumann's shoes down there. Bert, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, Herb Jr. got disqualified. I know I saw an interview that he did and he – he claims that uh, the World of Outlaws, you know, they they changed uh, when and where they were going to tech. You know, he he was asking, why can't it just be the same every night rather than uh, changing? You know, I'm not sure uh, if that's true or not. Uh, I guess and I agree with Ryan. I mean, it it sucks. But if you do it this early in the season, you're really setting a precedent for if somebody doesn't go to tech later in the se- in the season, then they're going to say, well, you know, you let it go earlier this year. So wasn't that it's, it's a- the first World of Outlaw night? Wasn't that the first Wu night? The first two were UMP. And wasn't that the first night of the World of Outlaws? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah because, because right. Owens won the next three. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, they they did make some changes in the teching, absolutely, without question. But the reason was because the first two nights, it was a UMP show. And then from that point forward, it was a World of Outlaw show. So they have maybe different ways that they do things, right, wrong, or indifferent. But but that's, you know, and Herb's right. That's where consistency needs to come in. You know, they 
basically that's a hard deal when you have a couple UMP shows and then a World of Outlaw shows after that, and that's the issue with that. World of Outlaws and UMP should have been on the same page from day one, and they should have said, hey, we're going to tech this way every night at this show instead of we're gonna, UMP does it this way and World of Outlaws does it this way, and that would have eliminated every bit of that. Yeah, and uh, now I, I forgot what I was going <laughs> to say. Oh, uh, ultimately, it's the driver's responsibility. He has to find out where the tech is going to take place, when it's going to take place. If you're unsure, uh, you have to ask, right, Ryan? <laughs> it's never the driver's fault, man. That's like, go on. <laughs> you, you, see, you're, you're a race fan. It's I, As a driver, it's never been my fault ever. Um, I know that other drivers <laughs> listening to this would probably agree with me. It's always, always 100% the track's fault. Um, it's just the way it is. But, no, you're exactly right. I mean, if you, I've been to several new racetracks. I've been to several different in different situations. And the one thing that I always did as a racer, always, is I said, where are the scales? Where is tech? Do you tech after the heat? Do you tech after the feature? Do you go back to our trailer? Do you do it right here at the scales? How is the teching procedure done? Because I've seen it. He's not the only person I've ever seen miss tech. And, and every single time it's kind of been, a lack of communication and really like you said it's up to the drivers to know that information because it's they're the ones getting the paycheck or not getting the paycheck so it's on them to know that for sure i mean when i was in mj mcbride's pit crew uh one of the things that i kind of did i kind of considered myself traffic control i would always inform him to make sure he knew how many had the scale uh, and where tech was and that sort of thing. Yep, yep, absolutely. It's nice to have that for sure. Of course, Dennis Herb's the one-man band, so he doesn't quite have that. But, but yeah, you're you're exactly right. You're, that that needs to be done, and I, I can guarantee you he won't do it again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of rules and DQs, uh, the droop rule, the new droop rule, you know, came up and bit a few drivers like a Florida alligator. Ryan, can you kind of, for our listeners, maybe define the droop rule in kind of a layman's terms and and maybe give your thoughts on kind of what was, I mean, a lot of complaints, a lot of shouting about that droop rule down there. <laughs> well, there, there. There's some teams calling it the Mark Richards rule right now. They're, they're teams, Team Zero and, and Rocket, they are not on the same page at all. And uh, really what the droop rule is, if you watch a Dirt Late Model Modified, any of the above, when, that, when the left side of the car hikes up and specifically the left rear climbs up and it, it's basically called hike, we call it hike, they call it droop because it's, you know, the left, the separation is, you can call it droop. In fact, they're called, they changed the terminology. It's now called, I believe it's the deck height rule is what it is. But basically what they're doing is the more a car hikes up on the left rear, it does different things. It gives your car more roll steer, helps it roll through the center of the corner. It adds traction dynamically to the car. So there's things that it does along the way. And what World of Outlaws decided is they're going to limit how far the car can actually hike up on the left rear. So they have a measurement from the deck into the ground. But here's what's crazy, guys, is there's no re- right now they're finding it's almost impossible to tech because if you jack the car up 
differently. If you if you slide the jack or you turn the jack sideways or you put the jack a certain way or if you move the jack in or out just a little bit, it's actually changing that measurement. So they're having a difficult time being consistent with that. And also, there's a limiting device uh, on cars. A lot of them have a chain, but a lot of them have like a rubber snubber in there to kind of eliminate the shock. Well, teams, and I believe this is what Bloomquist got disqualified for the, the second time. He got disqualified twice, or not disqualified, but he got docked positions, is they're going to play around with uh, kind of the density of the limiting device because what they want to do is they want to make it when you jack it up that it's actually fairly solid, so it'll, it'll measure a certain amount, but they want it to have enough give, enough cushion to it, so that when it does it under racing conditions, you can get that little extra um, hike up out of it. So you're going to see teams playing around with that, and, and you know, of course, that Bloomquist is going to continue to play with that because he played within every gray area known to man, and he will continue <laughs> to do so. But uh, the really... Really, it's another inconsistency. Lucas Oil doesn't really have the rule. World of Outlaw does, and they, they're finding some issues with it. Um, one benefit right now that Shepard has with the Rocket team is they've raced a ton of shows. They've been kind of working within the parameters all year, and uh, I think really, I think Team Zero, you know, you look at the Bloomquist team, they did not perform at their level, especially Chris Madden. He was way off the pace, um, but they didn't perform very well. And their cars typically hiked up significantly more than what that droop rule allows. And I believe had they gone to East Bay, they had a few more nights to play with that. They would have been faster at Volusia. But uh, they're just a little bit behind the eight ball. They're getting, they have a little bit of homework to do to kind of build that traction back into the car without making it hike up so much. So it's an interesting deal. Go ahead, Bert. Well, I don't have much to say about the droop rule. I from a fan's perspective, it, it sucks to have so many disqualifications. Uh, you know, you just want to see the racing take place on the track and not have uh, positions and winners being decided by disqualifications. All right, Ryan. Well, we'll start with you here. So we obviously we raced in Georgia. We raced uh, the, the west side of Florida. Then we moved over to the east side of Florida. So I want to ask you who, in your opinion, was the biggest winner? and the biggest loser coming out of Georgia, Georgia, Florida Speed Weeks? Well, I think the biggest winner, it's two, it's two in my mind. I mean, Brandon Shepard, I mean, he's been consistently very fast. Uh, he didn't have, you know, he, he won a couple there. Jimmy Owens, that's another guy that, you know, he, he won three in a row there. Of course, unfortunately for him, they were all World of Outlaw races and not Lucas Oil races. Um, so, so them two, but another guy, that I was very surprised with uh, Lanigan. Um, Lanigan, um, he was very strong there at Volusia, and and really, it's a guy that I hadn't even had in the conversation for a while. I mean, we're talking Team Zero, we're talking the Rocket team with Brandon Shepard, but for some reason, Lanigan was a guy that we just hadn't talked about. But he looked pretty darn good there um, towards the uh, the last couple nights there at Volusia, so. You know, I would say Shepard, Owens, um, Lanigan, them would be the three guys that I say were really the winners. The loser out of the deal, Team Zero, plain and simple. Um, especially Madden um, struggled. They the whole country last year, and he just looks average right now. 
Um, is it going to stay that way? Absolutely not. They're going to get things figured out. I believe he has a brand new car coming out at the next race. You know, so they, they got some work to do, but uh, they kind of got off behind the eight ball there um, down in Florida. So it's going to be interesting to see how they rebound. Ultimately, the number one winner, Hoosier Tire, by far. <laughs> well, yeah, Lanigan is actually sitting uh, second in points as they, they leave Florida. It's Bishop, Lanigan, Weiss, Madden, and Bloomquist is your top five. Uh, Bert, your thoughts? Um, I'm going to start with uh, the biggest loser first. Uh, in my opinion, I'm going to go with uh, Josh Richards. Uh, I saw an interview with him at East Bay, and he said that uh, their team is down to one car now because they want to concentrate on winning the championship. But if you look at his finishes during speed weeks, uh, he didn't have that great, great of a week down, or a couple weeks down there. And for winner, I'm going to go with... Uh, well, obviously Shepard, uh, because he it didn't matter which series he was just winning. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with the biggest winner is Tim McCready, in my opinion, just because he's with a new team and to start off a season with several wins and and top finishes is uh, a great way to start with a new team. And then I'm just going to add that another winner, in my opinion, is uh, Mark Whitener. Uh, he's making a name for himself. He had another uh, altercation. Uh, with uh, with a driver, him and Brandon Overton uh, scrapped and uh, had had uh, some words and gestures for each other. And uh, but uh, he Whitener is definitely fast. He's proving that he can be a fast driver. Yeah, I was wondering if either of you were going to mention Whitener because uh, on the, my winner side, that is definitely who I was going to pick or who I am picking is, you know, I mean, people, I mean, I didn't know who Mark Whitener was. I, I think most race fans didn't, but I know, I think, you know, if you're a late model fan, everyone knows now who Mark Whitener is. Um, you know, he didn't win a race, but like I said, he, he, he made a lot of noise and, you know, he was there, he was in contention uh, uh, a couple of times. He did win in Lake city on that one off night when it wasn't an outlaw race and it wasn't a Lucas race. He did win that show. But like I said, I mean, if there's a team out there, you know, I mean, think about it. if you're a team, you're going to fire a driver whatever in uh whatever may 1st i mean gosh you start looking around the pool of talent i mean mark whitener's name's got to come up in your top five you know someone that's kind of looks like he's ready to go that could jump in and be competitive um and then on on the loser side yeah you know i would i would kind of agree with ryan i think madden just he just wasn't there you know because it wasn't even i mean not only was he a hot driver last year he's been a hot driver you know, up until Florida, you know, he was, you know, he's leading the points in that extreme dirt winter series. He had, he had good shows out West at the wild West shootout. Um, but another guy is what happened to Earl Pearson jr. He, he raced in East Bay. He was terrible. He lives right in Jacksonville. Now I understand he's not racing for woo points, but it's like right down the road. I mean, he's got to have more laps at Volusia than anybody. And he didn't even show up, you know, and obviously his, you know, he had a terrible start in East Bay, but I think just, just by not showing up, he was kind of a big loser. I think the guy needs some lap times after, or some some seat time after seeing how he did, you know, over at East Bay. So I would say Whitener's my my winner, and Earl Pearson is my loser. And uh, just to wrap up on the Lucas points, also, so Bishop is also on top of the Lucas points, followed by T Mac, Devin Morand, JD, and then Tyler Herb. So any, but go ahead. But you didn't you didn't find that from the Lucas Oil website. <laughs> yeah, well, the Lucas Oil points are actually on my race pass. Um, why they don't have a link on the website just 
linking it right over to my race pass is kind of beyond me. I don't know why they have that. I clicked on points, nothing really popped up. But uh, us educated race fans, we just go ahead and click on my race pass. The points are there. Um, as far as Mark Whitener, man, I, I don't know. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy it on an entertainment standpoint. I love it. I think the sport needs a guy like him. As far as if I was a car owner, would I put him in my car? Not a chance. There is absolutely no way. Um, he's, he's fast. He's talented. He's up on the wheel. But he, he's got way too much emotion. I mean, he gets bumped a little bit, and all of a sudden he's, like, driving through people on purpose. I mean, we're talking about very, very expensive race cars. We're not talking about speed stocks. We're talking about late models. And, you know, um, he's never going to have to worry about making weight because um, I think he's got a 50-pound chip on both shoulders. You know, and you can see that in every interview he has. So he's, he's plenty going to make weight every single time. He's talented enough. He's a guy that, that looks like he can run right with the best of them. But, you know, as far as a professional standpoint, I, I don't know that's a guy that you want because, you know, it, it's just he's not professional. He, he doesn't – he says what's on his mind, and, and it's a lot of negativity, a lot of – you know, negativity towards other drivers. And, and was he right? Probably. You know, he probably was right. Overton kind of got into him a little bit, but they're racing hard for the lead. You know, cut his tire. I mean, it wasn't a body slam. They got together, got a tire, and then he drove through Overton on purpose. Tried, said he tried to hit him harder. Um, those kind of things, as a, as a car owner, there's no way. I would never put him in a car. He's got some growing up to do. Um, as far as a fan goes, though, putting a fan hat on, I love it. I mean, I think we need to have somebody like that. You got to have a heel. You got to have somebody that's not afraid to say what's on his mind. Kind of reminds me of a Jeff Provenzino up in Hibbing. Um, he, he probably talks a little bit too much, but he 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 has the people that love him and the people that hate him. You need that in this sport to build the fan base. So as a fan, I love it. All right. Anything else? Uh, final thoughts on Florida? Well, I I just want to add that uh, Earl Pearson Jr. is probably going to go off and win three races now because didn't you say that you were very disappointed with Jimmy Owens last I did. Week? Coming out of East Bay, I said Owens was just, <laughs> he's got to be better. He must have yeah, hit it all. And then we kind of mentioned that, you know, Jimmy Mars didn't look very good down there in Arizona. And the next night out, he got second, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see. Another, another thing that I thought was kind of humorous, and I didn't really see much details on it, but I heard about it down there, was uh, Team Scott, Johnny Scott, Stormy Scott, one of their pick guys, don't know his name. Um, um, I, I don't remember the driver's name. It was uh, an initials, D.R. or G.R. or G.R. Smith? G.R. Smith. G.R. Smith. G.R. Smith, yeah, yeah. So, Incidentally, one of the nights down there, there must have been some kind of an altercation on the track, and one of the Scott Pitt guys got on a four-wheeler, proceeded to drive right through this guy's door, smashed the door on his car, he had to put a new door on, cops came, he got escorted off the property, and uh, so there was a little altercation, pit skirmish, a lot of, a lot of testosterone going around, and uh, it kind of reminds me back uh, when I was racing for Superstock National Championships, I may or may not have done something similar. Um, had a, a guy basically wrecked me in a, in a heat race out of the Jamestown Stampede, and uh, I went up to confront him at the at the scales when he came across and told him what I thought of his driving and happened to make a little gesture to me, so I may or may not have teed him up with my four-wheeler myself, and 
came in his quarter panel and decked in. And fortunately for me, nobody saw it. Otherwise, I probably would have lost all my points in my championship. Um, but that was back when, uh, you know, the thoughts didn't go quite as fast as uh, the mouth went. You know, I just kind of reacted. And I look back at that and I just kind of chuckled. It's like, well, I guess I'm not the only one that's ever done that now. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, we are on to the last lap, so we have one to go, and we just have one selection tonight, uh, 141 Speedway. The promoters were won an award last week down in Daytona from uh, RPM Racers Promoters Monthly. Uh, the uh, promoters there won a, a regional award. Uh, you know, Bert, obviously that's out in your area. You know those folks uh, just a little bit who they are. You want to talk just a little bit about them, what you know? Yeah, Toby Cruz, uh, who... Uh, Toby Cruz, Dan Retitrek, and Scott Retitrek were honored for uh, Promoter uh, of the Year Award at 141 Speedway, which is in Francis Creek, Wisconsin, uh, for, for uh, which is a little bit north of Milwaukee. And uh, they were actually tied for the honor. Uh, they won the prize outright in 2016 and 2017. Uh, Toby Cruz is also the promoter of Marshalltown Speedway in Iowa. Awesome. Well, he's got his fingers. Uh, he's a busy guy. <laughs> he's not getting any sleep in the summer. <laughs> no. All right, fellas. Well, great. Uh, anything else? No, I, I think we actually have a little break. I mean, what's coming up for racing this next coming week? Is there really anything going on? When's the, when's the extreme dirt car finale? Is that this coming weekend or the weekend after? I believe that is on, it'll be the week, yeah, it'll be after the next show, because I think, uh, let me look here, I believe it's on uh, Leap Year Day, let me see here, I can find that. And uh, talking about Chris Smokey Madden, yeah. you know, he, he, he didn't do very well down there in Florida, but he's got to get his stuff together, because he's got 10,000 on the line, um, leading that, going into the, into the final night, and uh Another guy that's right there in the hunt is Kyle Strickler. Um, he actually uh, looked pretty good the last night down there in, in Volusia. So interested to see how uh, how that goes on the finale for the Extreme Dirt Car Series. Yeah, actually twenty thousand on the line. Twenty thousand for the oh, points. Oh, twenty thousand. That's twenty. Right. Yeah, you're, you're it's twenty. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was like crazy. It's twenty ten five for what? What was it? Six races or seven races are down to five, I believe. I think this will be the fifth, yep. fourth, or fifth. So with those couple cancellations. So all right. Well, great show fellas and thank you all you race fans uh, out there for joining us i said we'll be here every week sorry for the delay but i think after hearing the pod you understand why uh, uh we got to you just a little bit late so that like i said thank everyone for listening we thank all of you for listening and as always go out there and be your dream you're tuned to the one to go show <laughs>